entering the Freedom Hut. Liberals wasted no time in blaming their political enemies for a mass shooting in New Zealand. We'll break down their poor arguments and their lack of good faith in this discussion. Plus, we will have all the latest on Beto's fundraising. Turns out a lot of people are throwing money at the man. That and so much more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I think it's a horrible event. It's a horrible thing. I saw it early in the morning when uh, I looked at what was happening in New Zealand. I just spoke, as you know, to the prime minister. I think it's a horrible, disgraceful thing and a horrible act. I don't really. I think it's a uh, small group of people that have very, very serious problems. I guess if you look at what happened in New Zealand, perhaps that's a case. I don't know enough about it yet. They're just learning about the person and the people involved. But it's certainly a terrible thing. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. President Trump not mincing any words there, getting right to the point. What happened in New Zealand was horrific. It is a gut punch for the whole world. Um, people being murdered at prayer in that way is is the, the height of evil. It's disgraceful. It's disgusting. And we should all be united in not just our condemnation of that act, but also the in the aftermath, the need to try to support one another and heal and have worthwhile conversations about was there any way to stop this? Was there a way to perhaps mitigate it in progress, security procedures, anything that needs discussion? And then also to destroy and uh, expose the ideology of uh, white nationalism wherever it exists as something that is, that is hateful and evil and wrong. But what we don't need is for people in this country and in many other countries as well to decide that this moment of tragedy is really something to be exploited for partisan purposes. That's what we do not need. And yet that is what we have gotten from the media in this country. They have decided that with 50 people murdered in two mosques in New Zealand, The most important thing that they can do in terms of messaging. Sure, they report the facts of the case. It's a a terrible incident that happened. But what is the takeaway from this? The takeaway for the media is that Trump is at fault. Play clip two. You ask for God to change people's hearts. Yeah. I have a question for you. Does God need to change people's language? President Trump, uh, whether uh, intentionally or I think in a lot of cases, even inadvertently, has provided a lot of fodder for people like this. At the very pinnacle of power in our own country. You mean the president? This shooter, according to these reports, specifically invoked our president as an inspiration. You asked Matthew earlier about, is there someone out there tonight who's going to hear Trump's rhetoric and act on it? We know that lots of far-right attackers have claimed to be Trump supporters in recent months. The language he uses in this manifesto is all about invaders. It's also language that President Trump used in a campaign ad before the midterm election. You have a president who, when he was a candidate, talked about 
banning Muslims from entering this uh, this country. So this is a president um, who has given plenty of rhetorical ammunition, I think, to terrorists like this. Maybe we need to hear a little less from the president in terms of his his rather incendiary uh, inflammatory rhetoric on you know, uh, racial or ethnic matters. I know earlier the president tweeted out a message of sympathy to the victims, but the president of the United States needs to, needs to go further. Wow. A lot of focus there. A lot of different people weighing in on how with 50 people killed in, it might even be one or two beyond that now, but with, with the dozens of terrible deaths in New Zealand, their first impulse is to turn around and find a way to blame this on President Trump. Now, this is dishonest. It's disingenuous. It is also destructive. It pulls at the very bonds that we have in this country with our government and with good faith discussion about what's really happening day in and day out in America. I mean, th that they would claim that President Trump has some responsibility for this just goes to show you how deep the anti-Trump derangement actually goes, right? They, they look for opportunities. They exploit opportunities to try to tie this president to an incident like this. Um, you know, meanwhile, there's this other attack in the Netherlands, in Utrecht, where the uh, Dutch police have arrested a Turkish man who shot three people dead, wounded five others on a tram in the Dutch city of, of Utrecht. We don't know exactly what the motive is here, and I really do say that because this isn't, from what I can see from the media coverage of it, a cover-up of the motive so far. He was shooting at a family member. Apparently, it might just be a rage incident. We don't, we don't know. But another mass shooting in, in the Netherlands. Mass shootings happen. There are evil people in the world who can get access to firearms wherever you are, whatever country we're talking about. They can get access to firearms and they can kill a whole lot of people should they choose to do so. But instead of talking about just the security component to this or or discussing, you know, what could be done to find because really you have to stop radicals, you have to stop extremists. I have some experience because I used to do this for a living. You have to stop them before they're operational, before the attack. If you're waiting at the attack, you're not avoiding casualties altogether. You're mitigating the casualties that are likely to happen in most cases. But this is, once again, a time when they can attack Trump, and that is what they've decided to do. Quote, modern white supremacy is an international threat that knows no borders being exported and globalized like never before, according to the Anti-Defamation League CEO Jonathan Greenblatt. The hatred that led to violence in Pittsburgh and Charlottesville is now finding new adherents around the world. Indeed, it appears this attack was not just focused on New Zealand. It was intended to have global impact. Uh, that's certainly true from the manifesto. Uh, he did want it to have global impact. In fact, the shooter named people in his manifesto so that there would be a leave-behind effect. The people that were named would be, uh, in a way, either ostracized from society or more radioactive in their already content uh, contentious discussions. And he knew that, so he's trying to exploit the seams that exist. But the greatest scene that he, can, that he can exploit, really, is the one that the media is playing into here, which is that the president is a white nationalist who gives cover to white nationalists, and this is the greatest 
hatred the greatest threat in the world. Now, you have a lot of evidence to support uh, the, the, the argument that it is not even close to being as much of a strategic terrorism threat, that white nationalism is not a strategic terrorism threat the same way that Islamic jihadism is. Although Cory Booker, in classic left-wing fashion, look, they, they always want to tell us how bad and evil right-wing people are. You know, they, 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 on the other, the left, you know, they don't want to talk about 9-11 stuff too much. They, they, they don't want to get into Islamic radicalism. They, they're always a little more uncomfortable, a little more circumspect about that. But they want to tell you that, you know, your people, the right-wing conservatives, you're the bad people, you're the real terrorists. Play clip five. There has been about 80-plus terrorist attacks since 9-11. The majority of them have been right-wing extremist groups, and the majority of them have been white supremacist groups. This toxin, this viral evil, is not, not, we don't have a monopoly in America. Look what happened in New Zealand. This is a scourge of humanity, bigotry and hate. And we need to know that we are more in danger right now. Now, Cory Booker's obviously very, very animated about this issue. Let me turn you to the facts for a moment here. All right. And this is from a nonpartisan think tank that compiled the numbers, the uh, Institute for Global Change. In 2017, looked at the numbers for radical ideology and the deaths from radical ideology. There were uh, Islamic extremism was behind 84,000 deaths in 66 countries in 2017. 22,000 of them were estimated to be civilians and 7,841 instances of Islamic attacks in that year alone. There were an average of 21 per day in 48 countries. Number one on the list was Syria. Now, there is nothing even close to that from uh, white nationalist terrorism. And when you look at the FBI statistics, as I have, and, and really dug into what's going on, what you see is that the way that they make this argument is, is what Cory Booker did. First of all, he says, since 9-11. Okay, well, on 9-11, we lost almost 3,000 of our fellow Americans in one day. And by the way, since 9-11, we have spent hundreds of billions, probably more like trillions of dollars on a security apparatus Everything from DHS to TSA to, you know, counterterrorism operations abroad, all of that to deal with the scourge of Islamic radicalism, all of that, trillions of dollars. There is no commensurate or even there's nothing even close, nothing in the same stratosphere of effort and cost and expense to deal with white nationalist terrorism. When you get on an airplane, you are not concerned about white nationalist terrorism. We all know what terrorism you are concerned about. It is not white nationalist terrorism. What is the white nationalist terrorist group that wants to get nuclear weapons to detonate in a major city in any country? It, it, does, not, it does not exist, not that we know of. And here's an even, here's an even better way to look at this. So I'm, I'm giving you the numbers, and I just... I'm sorry, but I'm sick of this lie that the real threat is the right wing terrorism. And, and you know, no, yeah, they're right wing terror. They're eco terrorists. They're right wing terrorists. They're separatist terrorists. Terror is violence for political ends. There are there are lots of different designations of why people do this and how they do this in different groups all over the world. 
But if we're talking about the threat profile and what we have to worry about, nothing even comes close, close to radical Islamic terrorism. It's not even the same, not even the same universe. And yet they lie and they lie and they lie. Let me ask you this. What nation right now exists that is effectively a white nationalist terrorist state? Can you think of one? No, doesn't exist. Now, there are far lefty progressive loons who would probably answer that question. America, because Trump, but they are psychos. If I ask you about a radical Islamist state, you can think of a few of them, right? Iran is a radical Islamist state. I'm not talking about the Iranian people, per se. A lot of great Iranian people, and they live in a tyrannical state, unfortunately. But the Iranian regime is an Islamic supremacist state. Hamas is an Islamic supremacist organization. You, know, you, you go down the list of all these, look at these different countries, look at whole areas of these countries, whether we're talking about Shabab in Somalia or Boko Haram in Nigeria, thousands and thousands of Christians being murdered in Nigeria. Nobody in this country pays any attention. They're all being killed by radical Muslims, by the way. But nobody pays any attention to it. I do because I have some personal history and fondness for Nigeria. But they skip past all of this. They don't look at the numbers. This is just like the China versus Russia paradigm. Russia, Russia, Russia for two years. Oh, what are we going to do about Russia? Meanwhile, China is stealing our lunch. Would we even win a war with China right now? It's a much more complicated question than I think a lot of Americans would like it to be. Russia. Russia's got a little little nothing burger of an economy. It's got a military that needs tremendous upgrades. And China is the real threat. But we've been so focused on Russia for politics. They do the same thing here for political reasons. Oh, the real threat is, you know, white nationalist terrorism. Uh, and, and, and by the way, it's not radical Islamic terrorism. They want you to be very clear on that, which is just completely upending reality. I wish they would stop lying, and I also wish they would stop doing everything in their power to score cheap political points against this president. And here we are. They can't help themselves. Um, 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Lines are open. I know, it's been a little while, team. I'll take, take a couple calls if we get some. I usually have so much to say that I don't make too much room for calls, but... We'll see. I feel like people are out of the habit right now, and they're just used to writing in on Facebook or on, on email. But 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Producer Mike is going to man those lines. You get to chat with Mike. That's always fun. So if nothing else, just call in to talk to Mike. He'll love that. We'll be right back. He's appealing to his base. This is dog whistle politics, and it is racism, and you can't describe it any other way. When he called immigrants animals, it was the same as Adolf Hitler uh, used to call foreigners animals, Jews and, and gypsies. It, it's the same politics. It's neo-Nazism, and he may not advocate violence, but for a lot of people that listen to him, as Juliet said, it's an incitement to violence. That's why I can't. That's why I couldn't work at CNN anymore, folks. Right there, that was CNN. That was Bob Bear. You know, I've done a fair amount of hits with Bob in the past. Um, I've actually on some issues, he's a pretty sharp guy. But you know, you got to dance to the tune that CNN wants you to over there. And Trump is Hitler is what they want. Trump is Hitler. 
Uh, although Bob, one time when there was a massive terrorist attack in France, was taking the, oh, it's because the French don't assimilate their immigrants well enough line. And I was, that is crazy. This person is a mass murdering lunatic and has nothing to do with assimilation. It has to do with jihad. Uh, but also what Bob said there isn't even isn't even accurate. And that bothered, you know, the, the Trump to Hitler comparisons are grotesque enough and that CNN airs that and does not feel bad about it should Oh, it does tell you everything you need to know. But, you know, CNN trashes Fox now openly. I mean, CNN is is an organ of the far left in this country. That's what they have become. They are. It is now woke NN. It is, you know, woke dot com over there. They're also woke and liberal and progressive. Um, but he said that Bob Bear compared. I'm sorry. He said that the Trump compared uh, immigrants to animals. It's not true. That is just that is a lie. You know, where are the fact checkers? Where's the Washington Post fact checkers? That's a lie. He compared MS-13 murderous gang members, you know, rape, control, kill, MS-13, those guys, compared them to animals. Now, you know, at, at some point we have to have words that we're allowed to use for people that are raping, murdering, killing, and torturing. You know, they're, you know, the English language needs to give us some freedom to be able to refer to people in a way to show our disdain for them. I mean, are, are we allowed to say MS-13 savages? Are we allowed to say MS-13 barbarians? Vandals? You know, what, 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 what are we allowed to call the murderers of MS-13? And beyond that, why is not accuracy over at CNN of paramount concern when trying to compare Trump to Hitler. I just, you know, at least get your facts straight if you're going to call Trump Hitler. He has never called him. He is married to an immigrant, folks. He is he is literally married to an immigrant. And they're they're putting people on TV to say that he calls immigrants animals. The stupidity knows no bounds. These people, Trump has broken them. I keep saying it because it's true. And that's how you'd have someone who you know, seems to be knowledgeable on some issues sometimes, maybe, although Bob's been out of the game for a very long time, so he pretends to know a lot more than he does. I'm just I'm just saying. I have friends who are still in the game. Let me tell you, they don't think Bob Bear knows what the heck he's talking about. But that's a conversation for another time. Uh, we've got so, so much more, including Betomania. It's like Beto. We'll talk about it. Stay with me. Morning coffee is an American institution. I, I drink it every day. And that's why when it comes to starting my day right, full of freedom, promise, and patriotism, I reach for the most delicious, most American coffee on the market, Black Rifle Coffee. This is how I get my day started. I tell you, it's delicious coffee. And I'm somebody that really cares what his coffee tastes like. Also, it's got quite a punch to it. But if you want decaf, you can get decaf too. Try Black Rifle Coffee. This will become your coffee of choice, just like it is for me. I get it delivered every month. It's roast to order, guaranteed fresh delivered to your door. And while liberals threaten to further tax your hard-earned money with their socialist agenda, Black Rifle Coffee is fueling the fight for freedom by upping their offer to 20% off your first purchase. Take advantage by visiting BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and receive 20% off your first purchase. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 20% off your first purchase. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Team, before we get into our uh, continued conversation about news of the day and all the things that matter um i saw we had a call producer mike what happened <laughs> he wanted to call in and just talk to me like you said <laughs> see this <laughs> is great this is what the problem you know everyone everyone knows producer mike is the cool one 
<laughs> and so when I say you can just talk to producer Mike, they just want to hang out, talk about sports, you know, come out to the coast, have a few laughs, you know, with producer Mike. That's exactly what he was like. He was Ricky from Washington. I was like, hey, you want to go on and talk to Buck? And he did my normal you know, thing I say. He's like, no, nah, I just want to talk to you. I was like, really? Yeah, He's like, yeah, I'm just driving around. He's like, love Buck. We're about the same age. He's like, but, you know, I just want to say hello. I was like, all right, man, thanks. Well, there we go. I'm, I'm glad that some of you like to call in just to hang out with producer Mike. That that. It's not surprising, but uh, I guess I guess I get what I asked for there. All right, back into the back into the mix here for a second. Uh, Chelsea Clinton, you'd think somebody who wait wait actually no hold off on the Chelsea Clinton. We'll get we'll get to her situation in a moment. Let me do let me do this one first. Um, what is the only thing that liberals hate almost as much as Trump, and not quite as much as Trump, but almost almost as much as Trump? You can tell what it is based on how quickly they will turn and attack that thing when there is a, a tragedy, a, a terrible tragedy, and a lot of emotions running very high. Well, you'll figure it out from this clip. Play 17. But don't we talk all about how public discourse and civility has gone out the window? Part of that is because we're abandoning basic standards of civility. Part of that is the business we are in right here. I don't say MSNBC because you guys are nice and I like you all. But there's a certain other network a few blocks away that 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 really manufactured hate and fear in this country. And to my mind, Fox News is the single cause, singular cause of this kind but of hate that and discourse. Because you don't support what their views no, are. No, no, it's because I've watched I watched my own family members be brainwashed by this. I've watched the hate and fear coming out. I think probably what we need is not so much journalism, but mass psychology. All right, so that guy, Jeff Jarvis is from the City University of New York School of Journalism. That's right, a journalism professor. The only people more left-wing than journalism professors are actual members of a communist politburo. Or you know, they're, they're actually part of the Central Committee in Communist China. I mean, it, it is it is hard to be more left-wing than a journalism professor. Uh, I I just want you to note that. I, I think if you asked a journalism professor or if you did a, a survey across the country of journal professors and asked them their politics, it would it would line up with um, with guys that m- make a living selling Che Guevara T-shirts and lighting patchouli, you know, and traveling around to different festivals. That That's what you would see. All right. So that guy is obviously a, wh- a wacko. But the singular cause of this kind of hate and discourse is Fox News, he says. The singular cause, not the Internet, not... And I also just have to laugh because, well, I mean, it, it, you laugh, but you also take it seriously. I laugh because it's so stupid, but uh, it also bothers me because I know a lot of people who work at Fox. I was on Fox on Sunday. I was on Fox on Friday. I mean, I'm over at Fox a fair amount. And I can honestly tell you some of the nicest people I have worked with, many of the nicest people I've worked with, and I would say the most uh, ethical, the most friendly, the most considerate, are in fact some of the biggest names you know at Fox News, and you know I don't I don't mince words about about this stuff. I would tell you, uh, but some of the people over there who are big names that you know are just they're just they're really great people, and I don't know how to say this other than to say it at CNN. Some of the big names you know are jerks, absolute jerks. I'm just telling you the truth. But yeah, the cause of hate is the really nice people who are trying to present a pro-American point of view in the news on a, on a nightly basis. You know, instead of trying to score points with the Park Slope crowd in New York. Some of you know Park Slope, some of you won't, but you get the idea. Uh, 
It is what it is. Oh, but even the left, even those who are in good standing with the left will sometimes find themselves on the wrong side of the rage mob after a massacre like this because the activist class in this country, the people that make their, you know, make a living and make their names by trying to hector people into submission, trying to uh, bludgeon the public into believing their lies and using heightened emotional periods to do that as one of their favorite tactics. And sometimes they'll even eat their own, so to speak. Sometimes they will make an example even of somebody who is usually in good standing and, and a card-carrying member of the progressive left. Here is what Chelsea Clinton had to say. Play clip six. After all that you have done and all this homophobia that you have stoked. I'm so sorry. Well, certainly, it was never my intention. I do believe words matter. I believe we have to show you. They do matter. And this, this, this right here is the result of a massacre stoked by people like you and the words that you have put out into the world. And I want you to know that, and I want you to feel that deep inside. 49 people died because of the rhetoric that you put out there. I don't think... What does I'm sorry you feel that way mean? What does that mean, parents? Everything about that exchange is wrong, and that exchange is the left in this country encapsulated in just a few moments there. Let's work through this, shall we? You had a couple of activists who blamed that was chelsea clinton hillary clinton's daughter hello my daughter that was chelsea clinton who is how is her rhetoric i mean you know never mind that no one no one in this country's rhetoric is responsible for some lunatic in new zealand i mean the only person who's really responsible is the shooter uh but how is chelsea clinton responsible for this i mean in, in what universe is it Chelsea Clinton's? I mean, I, you know, I'm not a Chelsea Clinton fan, but this is just crazy. And and notice the the vindictiveness of these activists who have cornered her and are videotaping this and are humiliating her. You know, we want you to feel this deep inside. Forty nine people are dead because of you. It's not true. It's a despicable thing to say to somebody. And what's even in some ways more amazing. Is Oh, and producer Mike is telling me that BuzzFeed gave them a platform to write about this. What's even more disgusting is Chelsea Clinton then feels the need to apologize for this, which I, I mean, I don't know what to, I, I don't know. And what I look, I, I get it, right? She probably just wants to get to get out of there. She probably wants to um, just get away from this and know she's on video and but. You're going to bend the knee to that? I mean, if someone walked up to me and said, Buck, you know, you're responsible for 9-11. You're the reason that that happened. I wouldn't bend the knee and say, you're right. I'm so sorry. I'd say, stop being a lunatic. You know, there's a different show for you to listen to. It's not this show. But she bent the knee to these maniacs. What? Why? Have some dignity. You know, we all, we're all here on borrowed time, right? We're all going to go out at some point. You might as well. One thing that, one thing that, or actually here, how about two things? Two things that nobody can take away from you but you. 
are your honor and your integrity. That's it. Nobody else can take that. That is all. It is entirely in your hands. Doesn't matter how how someone you know mis, mistreats you. Doesn't matter what they can't take away your honor. They can't take away your integrity. And to bend the knee to these just these screaming, stupid, overgrown children to bend the knee to them. It was. I felt badly for Chelsea Clinton. I actually did it. Oh my gosh, she's apologized. This is the dumbest. The dumbest activist moment I've seen in a while, and that is saying something. But she says, I'm sorry. And then notice, I'm sorry you feel that way. Okay. So she she gives herself a little bit of the, the non-apology apology. But notice how they don't accept it either. They won't accept it. So even when you are willing to say sorry for something that no human being with an IQ above 50 thinks is really your fault... Okay, even at that point, they won't accept, they won't accept the apology. Ah, okay. So that's, see, this is, this is the, the left adopted Prince Joffrey rules. You must confess, you must beg forgiveness, you must beg for mercy, and then we will chop your head off. That's Prince Joffrey rules. That's how the left does it now. I mean, that, it, was, it was an entirely embarrassing exchange for all involved there. I mean, the, the morons who are blaming Chelsea Clinton. I can't believe how much defending of Chelsea Clinton, but this is just, they might as well have blamed Chelsea Clinton for assassinating Abraham Lincoln. I mean, it's just so stupid. It's so very, very stupid. But you know, you're not allowed to tell stupid people they're stupid these days. That's probably a, a microaggression. It might even be a macroaggression. You're not allowed to tell these leftists, read a book build something, construct something, produce something. Stop blaming everyone else for everything. Stop finding some reason you're oppressed or this there's there's this people that are bad to you or you know there's not enough wrangling with the history of the oppression of whatever No. Take control, take action in your life every day, activists. I mean, action's practically in the name. Take action. That's good. That helps people. That's worthwhile. These, this whole, there's a whole culture on the left. All they want to do is smear and destroy, and it's, it really comes from a deep insecurity, a lack of knowledge, a lack of decency, a lack of achievement, and it is celebrated on the left because it is a useful weapon in the left's lust for power. So they like, you know, you see this with Media Matters and you see this with the Southern Poverty Law Center and you see this with Gawker.com when it was still a thing and lots of other, and, and these media reporters who all they do is try to get other people in media fired all the time. The left lusts for power and so they view this kind of destructive progressivism as useful, and so they have, they, not only they have no problem with it, they encourage it. They encourage it, but the problem is that it's toxic. It's not that I disagree with people like these activists who would confront Chelsea Clinton, who's, you know, like a mother of two or three, and yeah, she's a brat, but I mean, I don't, you know, I think she's generally pretty harmless. Uh, the, the, the people that would confront her and claim that she is responsible for 49 people's deaths, 49 people at prayer, men, women, children, just murdered. People that would say that to somebody, I don't disagree with them, 
I despise them because what they are doing is evil and wrong. And that's what the left has gone to now. We're not, we're not having disagreements on policy matters. We are having to stand up for ourselves as human beings and stand up for our own dignity because they are trying to take us out because they can't handle the arguments. They can't handle the truth. We'll be right back. This past week, I feel and I know this would be somewhat shocking for some, but I think Islamophobia is very much among the Democratic Party as well as the Republican Party. Are you suggesting that Democrats who took issue with Congresswoman Omar's comments did so because of anti-Muslim bias? I mean, I think that's part of it. Our mere presence is going to be able to possibly break down any of these kinds of uh, racialized, um, you know, opinions, uh, mm-hmm. these, this kind of Islamophobia that I do feel like is still very present on both sides of the aisle. Those Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, uh, who viewed Congresswoman Omar's comments uh, as anti-Semitic, you don't think that they legitimately felt that way. You think that they are there's anti-Muslim bigotry that's part of their criticism of Congresswoman Omar. I think she becomes an easier target, is what I'm trying to say. I don't understand mm-hmm. why others can so, say. So speaking of, all right, enough of that. Enough of both. Than- both of them. Both of them. I've had enough of both of them. That's Congresswoman Tlaib, and uh, and one of the uh, CNN hosts. And uh, notice how you know e- e- even when when Ilhan Omar says anti-Semitic stuff. It's not that she's to be held, she shouldn't be held fully responsible for it because, you know, even the Democrats are Islamophobic. Islamophobia is a made up nonsense term. It doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, phobia is fear of. Islamophobia means what? You're afraid of Muslims? Are they saying that it's a form of of bigotry? Are Are you Islamophobic if you have concerns about radical Islam? It's this very broad term that, and I wish Christopher Hitchens were still alive to say it himself, but Hitchens used to say, you know, was, was made up by idiots to silence people even dumber than they are. You know, that's, that's really the point of Islamophobia as a term. It's to shut down discussion, to stop you from being able to talk about things, including to discuss anti-Semitism. So while the left pretends to lecture all the rest of us on what is acceptable discourse and uh, you know what what we should and should not be able to say in, in public they can't even figure out if they really believe in punishing a fresh woman uh, a freshman member of whatever freshman member of congress first year congressional member uh ilhan omar um who has said the has said stuff that most normal people think is anti-semitic but oh no but you see, she gets she gets a little bit of a pass because of the Islamophobia. And this this is what I mean about the activist left. They they are now open about the fact that there should be different standards for people in terms of what they're allowed to say, in terms of what they can get away with based on skin color, based on ethnicity, based on religion. You know, there are there are entirely different rules. And people like me, white male, we we have we with the harshest, the harshest rules apply to me. Right, the harshest rules to the white males listening. I think there are a few of them listening to the show right now. You guys get no benefit of the doubt. In fact, you're held to effectively an impossible and constantly moving standard that only exists to transfer power to people who disagree with you. 
It only exists as a weapon that the left can use against people like you to force you to comply. I don't, I don't whether you're in public life or not, doesn't matter. To force you to speak about things the way, the way they want you to speak about them, to agree with things you don't agree with. You're a white male, you better watch out because, oh, you're going to disagree with them on whether transgender activists, as was just seen today, should be visiting kindergartens to tell kids about transgenderism when they're five? Well, if you disagree with that, guess what? They're going to find you and you're going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time and they're going to crush you. Now, if you weren't a white male, you wouldn't be crushed for saying it. You probably wouldn't get any trouble at all. But this is the world that they have created. This is how the left likes it, folks. And this is why, as we know, never bend the knee, never surrender, except to obligations of your own honor and dignity. It's the way it has to be. Liberals are huge hypocrites. If you listen to this show, you certainly know that. You probably knew that before you listened to this show, but liberals are huge hypocrites. It is just in their nature. It's how they are. It's who they are. But on the issue of respecting institutions, this has become a talking point that I, I've heard it so much that it almost sends me into a fit whenever I hear it now. Oh, Trump is undermining our institutions. That's always what they say. What does that mean? I ask that question. What does that mean? Undermining our institutions. How? By criticizing people who were acting in, a, in an incredibly politicized and unethical fashion at the FBI, the CIA, the DOJ, that, that undermines those institutions? I think those institutions undermine themselves. But here's what's at the very at the very root of this is liberals creating a kind of hysteria about how we won't survive the Trump era. Oh, no, Trump, what's he going to do to us? And there won't even be our democracy left. You've probably heard that kind of rhetoric. Oh, our democracy is at risk. Our institutions are being degraded. Huh. Our democracy is at risk. Our institutions are being degraded. Our institutions won't still exist after the next president takes office if it isn't Trump, right? That's, that's the concern. They're trying to make it sound like Trump is an existential threat to the United States of America. Because I think a lot of libs believe that. I think they believe it. As crazy as it is. And that's why this little bit, this little story that I'm about to tell you should really fire you up because it shows you who the libs really are. It shows you what the left is. All this talk now for two years plus, oh, Trump, and we have to respect institutions. They're there so that we have this orderly civilization. They're there so that America functions well and we need them. We have to respect, okay. You know what's an institution? The Supreme Court, right? The Supreme Court's institution. It's probably one of the most hallowed institutions in this country. But it turns out that in their effort to get the left-wing base fired up, liberals have no problem talking about, thinking about packing the court. That's right. You know, the last time this was really seriously discussed was when FDR, who the left has completely whitewashed and rewritten his history into making him a hero that saved us from the Great Depression and won the Second World War. And, you know, they leave out mostly the uh, internment camps and his authoritarian impulses. 
But FDR didn't like when he was trying to get some New Deal stuff through during the Great Depression. Uh, and in particular for the National Recovery Administration, there were some uh, and parts of the Agricultural Adjustment Act. Right, They were struck down by not just a few Supreme Court justices, in some cases unanimously struck down by the Supreme Court saying, sorry, can't do that. Can't do that. So what did FDR think about doing? Oh, FDR decided, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, that he would just, you don't like the judges? Change the number of judges. You don't like the, uh, you know, you don't like how they voted against you? Change who votes. And turns out that that did not go through. But FDR thought about it, was thinking about making it happen, talked about it. It was a real thing, but all to get progressive legislation through. In order to get progressive legislation through, FDR was willing to do what would have been one of the biggest power grabs in the post-Civil War era. Just decide that you're going to have six, I think it was six additional, yes, up to six additional Supreme Court justices. So, you know, if you're getting, if you're getting, 6-3 decision, well, guess what? Now you're getting a 9-6 decision. Woo! That works well, doesn't it? Well, then you might ask, well, Buck, hold on. What about the next president? Why why stop at six more? Why not put another six so you get more concern? And we all know the Supreme Court is, is a political football right now. Now you say, Buck, why does this matter? Why the little history lesson? Well, because Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Pete Buttigieg, Beto O'Rourke, all have suggested that they would consider or, or at least refuse to rule out, if they were elected president, trying to pack the Supreme Court with more judges. I don't mean fill vacancies. I mean court packing, adding Supreme Court justices. Change the rules of the game. You're not winning the game. Change the rules of the game. Don't fight harder. Don't fight better. That's not how libs do it. Change the rules. Think about what this would mean. Here's what Politico wrote about this. After watching Mitch McConnell transform the judiciary over the past four years, liberals are demanding a bold response. And Democrats are listening. Senators uh, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Kirsten Gillibrand told Politico they would not rule out expanding the court if elected president, showcasing a new level of interest on an issue that until recently remained on the fringes of debate. You see, that's Politico speak for, wow, that's some whacked out radical stuff. Quote, we are on the verge of a crisis of confidence in the Supreme Court, Kamala Harris says. We have to take this challenge head on, and everything is on the table to do that. Notice, notice the tactics. Notice the propaganda. Kamala Harris is suggesting that she must burn down the village that is the Supreme Court in, in order to save it, right? We're on the verge of a crisis, so let's remake the Supreme Court. First of all, how are we on the, how are we on the verge of a crisis with the Supreme Court? Not a crisis at the border with 100,000 people coming across this month illegally and drugs and all that. No, that's not a crisis, the left says. A crisis of confidence in the court. Oh, you mean because you won't have a liberal 5-4 majority anymore? That's a crisis of confidence? Well, only if you're a liberal who thinks that the Supreme Court is a super legislature for you. Sorry, that might not keep happening. 
don't underestimate how much the liberal mentality, how, how much of their, their belief in their own righteousness hinges, hinges on a Supreme Court that will give them what they want that they could not get through the legislative process. Liberals view this, the Supreme Court almost as, as, a, as a possession. It's something that they, they own, they feel, they touch. It's theirs. The Supreme Court is on their side. It's their weapon of belief. Gives them what they... Now, you say, Buck, doesn't always work for them. Yes, but on issue after issue, the left has gotten... On, on the biggest issues of our time, the only one that really you can think of that they didn't get their way was DCV Heller, which we'll talk more about guns, I think, later on in the program today. There's some interesting stuff going on with gun legislation, or at least discussion of gun legislation post the uh, New Zealand shooting. But DCV Heller really just said that you can't entirely abrogate the Second Amendment. You can't entirely ban somebody in a city in the U.S. just because you don't want them to have a, a firearm in their home from having a firearm in their home. That's really all Heller says and weapons in common usage, but weapons in common usage, which now I'm getting ahead of myself because we will get there on AR-15s, that's a place where the left will fight. We're on the verge of a crisis of confidence. See, this is they, they create the perception that their dramatic action is necessary. It's not an overreach. It's not a radical step rooted entirely in left-wing ideology. It's a necessary step to, supreme the court, to, to uh, save the Supreme Court. Or to supreme the court. That would be kind of fun. Um, more here from Politico. Expanding the court would amount to a historic power play. Oh, you mean a power grab, Politico? Notice how they do power play instead of power grab. By the next Democratic president and Congress requiring an intense legislative fight and the abandonment of many judicial and congressional norms. You don't say. Gillibrand said in an interview that she believes Justice Neil Gorsuch essentially possesses an illegitimate seat after Garland was denied a committee hearing. The New York Democrat added that the Senate should swiftly move to impose strict ethics rules on the Supreme Court. It's not just about expansion. It's about depoliticizing the Supreme Court, Elizabeth Warren said, who mentioned bringing appellate judges into Supreme Court cases as an option. Depoliticizing? depoliticizing the courts? Is she kidding me? Th think about this, folks. You have a number of the top contenders for the Democrat presidential nomination. Really, all of the top contenders, what I see here, except for Biden, who's not in yet. You have all the top contenders saying, yeah, I might, I might engage in some Supreme Court packing. And then they want to tell us, but we don't want to politicize the court. The only reason they would pack the court is politics. But they don't think that that's, they don't think that that's playing politics. These people are amazing, aren't they? And then Elizabeth Warren went on to say, any Democratic presidential candidate who is serious about implementing a progressive agenda has to seriously consider appointing new justices to unpack the courts. Uh, okay, so when libs get their judge, that's, a good thing. When a conservative judge is there, that's packing. Notice how they how they do this and how they, they set all this up. And don't ever forget, by the way, that liberals are the ones that started this whole shift in how judges get confirmed. Um, back in uh, 
what was it, 2013, I think. They got rid of the 60-vote requirement for most nominees. They decided that they wanted to just stack the deck with as many Obama federal federal court appointees as they possibly could. That was the plan. Well, then guess what happened? And then the uh, Republicans took, took control of the Senate, and Mitch McConnell in 2017 was like, we're getting Neil Gorsuch through, and they got rid of the 60-vote threshold for that. But Democrats were the ones that, that started this whole game. Democrats were the ones that abandoned norms and, yes, undermined an institution. It was Democrats who did that. Don't forget it. So for all their talk about how we have to respect institutions and we need to just remember that right now the Democrats who are running for the presidency effectively want to remake the Supreme Court to ensure a liberal supermajority in their super legislature that gives them things that they would never get from Congress. These people don't care about institutions. There's a recurring theme here. You know it and I know it. They just care about power. They just want power. That's it. They want it their way. They will lie, they will cheat, they will steal, they will crush the opposition, they will abandon any principles that they have as long as it gains power for them. And that's what you're seeing from these candidates, one of whom is Beto O'Rourke, who we will be having a, not really having a conversation with him, but you know what I mean, team. I'll be right back. I would never uh, begin by saying I'm at any disadvantage at all. Uh, as a, a white man um, who has had privileges that, that others could not depend on or take for granted, uh, I've clearly had advantages over the, the course of my life. I think recognizing that and understanding that, that others have not, doing everything I can to ensure that there is opportunity and the possibility for advancement and advantage for everyone is a big part of this campaign. I'm just like, so I'm so sorry about my white privilege. And I just want you to know that like, I'm, I'm just really sorry. And I know that the privilege of my whiteness has been like a big privilege. And let's not talk about the fact that my wife is like a bajillionaire and her family is like a super bajillionaire family, because that's not the privilege that I want to talk about. I want to talk about how I'm, I'm white and like, I'm so sorry about the privilege that comes from that whiteness. Yeah, that's right. This is the great hope of the Democrat Party right now. We're going to have to take him seriously, folks. You know why? Beto. I know. Do, do, you, do you guys want me to start calling him Robert? Maybe we should make an executive decision that we're going to call him Robert and not Beto. But Beto pulled in $6.1 million in the first 24 hours after the uh, announcement of his campaign. That is more than Rick Perry, Lindsey Graham, Bobby Jindal, Rick Santorum, Mike Huckabee, uh, Pataki, and Gilmore. Hey, I remember Gilmore. I, I, I got to chat with him. That was fun. Uh, then all of them put together in their 2016 campaigns. Um, in all of 2016. He beat all of them uh, in 2016 in one day. It's, in fact, more than Bernie Sanders raised in the first, by a little bit. I think Bernie raised five point something. You know, 5.7 million, but those millions were good millions. Unlike the bad millions from the millionaires and the billionaires. Uh, these are the good millions, you see, because they go to Bernie. 
Bernie, who is the socialist with three houses. <laughs> I have zero houses. Do I get to be a socialist with three houses? I got to try to pay rent. And, uh, you know, that's millionaires and billionaires. That's what Bernie's worried about. But Beto raised $6 million. He's, he's going to raise a lot of money. Liberals really like this guy. And I think that that's not going to change anytime soon. I think that we have to expect that they're going to throw a lot of money at him. He had a lot of money to run against Ted Cruz. He still lost. But I can start to see what, what his what his uh, candidacy is really all about. It's not about policies. It's not about being smart. It's not about being a great leader. It's about being the undefined but likable liberal that the media can just prop up, tell the, tell the narrative about how he's so great for this or that reason, and just hope that they create a perception of, yeah, I'll vote for this guy because he's, he understands me, man. You know, whatever it is, the, those intangibles. He's a, a a largely undefined candidate in terms of policy. Has an undistinguished record. Had an undistinguished record in Congress. Lost to Ted Cruz. But I don't think any of that really matters because liberals know that all they need is somebody to be in power to enact the agenda. We all know what the agenda will be once they get in power: bigger government, more control, more suppression of conservatism. Uh, no matter who they get into office, that's what's going to happen. So it's just, can they fool enough of their fellow Americans? Can the liberals with Beto O'Rourke create this candidate that they've just put together? It's all a construct. It's almost like the, the equivalent in politics, or it's similar to a pop star, say. You know, oh, you know, this person's a, uh, you know, a pop star. Well, you know, we created their, we wrote the songs for them, created the look for them. You know, it, it's all very much a construct. And that's what I think you have with Beto, which is why they are so favorable toward him. And I, I also think it's interesting that, you know, Beto O'Rourke is uh, able to count on the media to even suppress stories that would be of interest to people, but they don't want to slow him down at all. Interesting piece came out over the weekend from Reuters on this one, and I can only tease this one. I can just tell you a little bit of uh, I'm, I'm, what would make Beto an even more sort of bad boy Generation X guy? What if I told you that he was part of a hacking collective? Because that way, like, I could, like, not pay for long distance, hack the planet. Some of you, some of you will catch that reference in a movie, and that is, like, Gold Star... Stick the landing, perfect 10 level stuff. We'll have more on Beto's shady pass coming up. I was like, man, I hope I didn't say that. I'm born to serve. Uh, I'm, I'm born to try to help bring people together. So I don't know that anyone is born for an officer position. And I certainly am not. I like totally need to walk back. That thing that I said to Vanity Fair, where they were like, oh my God, he's so handsome. Like, I just want to look at him and touch him. But then I said like, oh, I mean, I guess I'm running for president. And like, I was born to do this. And people were like, wait, that's like kind of, that's kind of not, not cool. Like not copacetic. So I just want to walk that back and say, I hope I didn't say that, but I totally did. 
Yep, this is what you're going to expect from Beto. Whatever he has to say, whenever he has to say it, as long as it clears out the way for him to get the media to support him, to endorse him, to... The media is snowplowing for Beto. This will come up later on in the show. So remember remember this one. We'll get get uh, bonus points if you remember that the media is snowplowing for Beto. And later on the, in the third hour, we'll talk about how parents snowplow for their children. Um, but Beto also is going to have to stretch in all these different directions to try and keep the progressive left happy. Play 11. You're nominated. Democratic position to vote for President of the United States. Will you put a woman as your vice president? It, it's hard for me to, to think of a reason that I would not do that. Um, I, I think talking about who I would pick as, as vice president just feels really premature. I know it feels premature. Yeah. But you're half of a ticket That's when, right. you, when you're becoming president. You represent the other half of this country, too. That's right. They need to see a woman in a position of power in this country. Yes. Yeah. We haven't had a woman vice president. I would like the youngest person that I'm going to vote for to drive this country forward and put a woman on his ticket. Yeah. I, I hear you. Uh, again, that would be my preference. That would, like, okay, so, like, at first, like, it's premature because, like, bro, like, I have like 2% of the vote and like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to make it for like two more months. Cause this is a lot of work, but yeah. Okay. That would be my preference. <laughs> it's just like, he didn't put up too much of a fight with that guy. The guy's like, come on, you need a woman. And he's like, I mean, I don't know if I should come on. You need a woman. Okay. Totes. I need a woman as my VP. That's what he said. That's what he goes for. Oh, he also wants to throw. Now, now keep in mind, Beto married into a, a wealthy real estate family. Um, so he, he is a, a direct beneficiary of the economic system that we have in a in a way that very few people get to benefit. Right. I mean, he's a multi multimillionaire. I saw someone say he's worth 200 or sorry, 20 million is what they estimate. But then. The, the family that he married into is worth like a couple of hundred million. So there's a lot of money, okay? Nobody has to worry about money. But Beto still wants you to know that we have a, a racist economy. Play 12. I think the only way to meet some of these historic challenges is to be able to use this engine of capitalism. It won't be government intervention or policy alone that makes it possible. Now, having said that, it is clearly an imperfect unfair, unjust, and racist capitalist economy. <laughs> you have to love that. So, like, let's just use capitalism because it's really good, right? We know that. But wait, hold on a second. Oh, my gosh. I just said capitalism was really good, but it's actually unfair, unjust, and totally racist. So, like, it's not really good, but it is really good, but it's not really good. <laughs> I'm like, which one, Beto, which one is it, my man? Is the economy racist or is it is it awesome? Is is capitalism a good thing or a bad thing? Can't really, you know, he knows, I think, at some level, intellectually, that the argument against capitalism is incredibly weak. It's not an argument that he wants to have to make. He doesn't want to have to be the one defending the far-left socialist policies that are out there right now that Democrats are embracing, increasingly embracing. 
but by the same token, uh, you know, he, he can't just say that capitalism is great because the woke left, the social justice aware left, thinks that capitalism is unfair and racist. Um, I think that capitalism is the system responsible for ending more human misery and pulling more people out of poverty than any other system devised by humankind ever. So I tend to give I tend to give capitalism the benefit of the doubt as a result of that. But, you know, the left, they like they want all the benefits, but they also want all of the emotional fulfillment and all of the the, the virtue signaling possible from bashing capitalism at whatever opportunity that they take. Uh, so this is not not surprising, I suppose, at all. But that's where it is. Speaking of all these things. Uh, Beto also spoke about, and this is this we're going to transition into a little bit of a gun talk here in a moment. Let's talk about some guns. Uh, wait, didn't Beto say weapons of war, or am I missing that? John, do we have Beto talking weapons of war or not? Am I imagining that? Yeah, number nine. That's what I'm trying to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, John. I'm just I'm getting old. My eyes are going. Play nine. We allow people in this country to buy weapons that were designed, engineered, and sold to the United States military for the express purpose of killing people as effectively as possible in as great a number as possible. And an AR-15 gunshot wound, that high-impact, high-velocity round, will blow a hole through your back the size of an orange. You will bleed to death before anybody can get to you and save your life because that's exactly what it was designed to do to keep that enemy soldier down and not claim the life of one of our own now if you own an AR-15 keep it continue to use it responsibly and safely I just don't think that we need to sell any more weapons of war into this public he doesn't know what the heck he's talking about so I mean, we, we should start there I've also come to think that that liberals parade their ignorance about guns as a badge of honor because they, they are they're so uh, disdainful of gun owners and gun ownership that they prefer to say, yeah, like whatever you take your bazooka machine pistol somewhere else, buddy. You know, they don't care that they sound like idiots. And, you know, this this whole weapons of war concept has gotten more attention um, because of obviously what happened in, in New Zealand, but also. Uh, here we go. Morning Joe. What's his name? Scarborough. He said, as a longtime gun owner and supporter of the Second Amendment, I agreed with the Supreme Court's Heller holding that concluded Americans had the right to keep and bear arms. But that constitutional protection did not and will not extend to guns designed as weapons of war. If you own an AR-15, keep it. Uh, continue to use it responsibly and safety. Um, but... I just don't think we need to sell any more weapons of war into this public. Um, so, yeah, sorry, that was Beto as well. So Beto and Scarborough are referring to the AR-15 as a weapon of war. It's not true. They can keep calling the AR-15, which everyone listening to this show knows, is Armalite rifle, not assault rifle, which people always think. It's named for Armalite, the Armalite rifle Model 15. They can keep saying it's a weapon of war, but that that is not the case. Uh, what they do is they conflate the fully automatic M16 or fully automatic or also with a, a three, um, a, a triple fire selection with the AR-15. And they just keep saying these are the same things, but they're not. As this audience well knows, and many 
know much better than I do, the AR-15 is just a semi-automatic rifle. doesn't even fire a particularly large bullet. It is not the M4. It is not the M16. Those are weapons that the military has. And it is very, very hard uh, to get them as a civilian. I mean, you can. I, I know you can. You get the federal permit, but it's difficult to do. And there are, in, there are far fewer of them in circulation. Um, and the AR-15 has always been the civilian. It has been a civilian semi-automatic rifle. You know, when the, and my friend David Harsanyi over at The Federalist wrote a great piece on this today. When you look at the assault rifle ban from the 1990s, which is really what the Democrats, the Democrats want to do that again. You look at the assault rifle ban from the 1990s, you see that there's, um, there was, it was completely ineffective. And in fact, when the ban ended, and then people could buy what are called assault rifles again, including the AR-15 and other similar, all it is a semi-automatic rifle. It's a semi-automatic rifle with, with a, a, mag, a detachable magazine, a, 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 a stock, and, you know, what? I mean, sometimes you can put foregrips and other things, rail system, but, you know, it's a semi-automatic rifle. There was an, an explosion of ownership in AR-15s, and while that happened, after the assault weapons ban went down, uh, was was no longer law, gun violence went down. So for 2017, uh, the last year of FBI data, there were 7,105 Americans murdered by handguns. Of all Americans murdered in 2017, only 374 were killed by rifles. That's in a country of 320 million people. And those rifles are not just AR-15s, as, as David points out in this piece on the Federalists. There were 1,604 knife homicides and 656 people were killed by fists and kicking in 2017. So beaten to death. So uh, bare fists, more dangerous than rifles. Knives, clearly more dangerous than rifles. And handguns, way more dangerous than rifles. So if the point here is to stop violence, why aren't liberals just being honest and saying, that they want to ban handguns uh, because they like this incrementalist approach. Just take what you can when the when the emotions are as high as possible. Find some way to make the argument about, you know, do you do you want to stop children from being killed or, or, or are you a bad person? Oh, forget about all your FBI data, Mr. Gunman. Forget about all that. Mr. NRA stooge. Right. That's what they say. It doesn't matter what the argument really is. It doesn't matter that this would be irrelevant. Guns are bad if you are a leftist. That is how they feel. That is what. That is why their their policies go in the directions that they do. Guns are bad. That's it. That's all you really have to know. Everything beyond that is is additional, is extraneous. And that's why when I see someone, even like Joe Scarborough's, does he still call himself a conservative? I don't even know how he would self-identify. I mean, all the guy does is bash Trump and say things about everything that are just not true. I, I don't really understand what his, I don't really know what game he's playing, but I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, but the weapons of war comment, that is also just historically ignorant. It's, it's not true. The AR-15 is not a weapon of war. It's, it is not what the military was issued in Vietnam. It is not what the military is issued now. It is not a weapon of war. And in fact, to those of you like me who have spent some time firing M4s know, you know, there is a difference. 
There is a difference. If I have to go clear a house, I'd rather have an M4 than an AR-15 on semi-automatic, that's for sure. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment, team. Stay with me. Unfortunately, because the gun manufacturers only care about gun sales, they oppose the common sense reform that can save lives. They want to oppose universal background checks because they want to sell an assault rifle to a teenager in a Walmart or to someone on the terror watch list or to someone who's gravely mentally ill with a violent background or to someone with a criminal conviction for a violent crime. They want to sell those weapons. That's why they oppose universal background checks. That's why they, they won't oppose something as simple as bump stocks or uh, banning assault rifles or large magazines. They want to sell those things, no matter what, to anybody. Everything she just said there is a lie. Just just lie, 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 lie. That's Kirsten Gillibrand, folks. Senator for the state of New York, my home state. Everything she said there is a lie. There, it, is, it is, in fact, a felony to sell a firearm to a person. And it is also a felony for the person to have possession of the firearm. It's called a prohibited possessor if you have a violent criminal conviction. You can't have a gun. And you can't sell a gun to somebody with that. So what is she talking about? Selling them to the severely mentally ill? That's not true. No one's trying to sell guns to severely mentally ill. Selling assault rifle to a teenager in a, in a, in a Walmart? I mean, all, all this stuff. Does she mean, does she mean a 19-year-old who wants to buy an AR-15? A 19-year-old who can vote, serve in the military? You know, when she says teenager, what are we talking about? A 13-year-old? No, can't happen. 19 year old why so you can you can be a marine and wear the uniform and serve in you know god knows where around the world trying to defend us and our freedom and our liberty but you can't buy an ar-15 i'm sorry i i have a problem with that um but that, that she says that they want to sell a gun to anybody that's that's just that is a lie there are lots of restrictions about who you can sell a gun to you can't even uh be a you can't even own a gun if you are somebody with a domestic abuse uh, conviction on your on your record. And yet she acts like there's nothing there's no nothing that stops it. By the way, opposing bump stocks, that's even the NRA said fine, take the bump stocks. Just she doesn't even care though. It's just I just hate the guns and the guns are bad and the people with the guns are bad and they don't care about dead kids, and it's just lies. She was lie all the time. And then they want to turn around and say, oh, well, you know, Trump said he's worth, you know, $9 billion, but he's really only worth $7 billion, we think. So he's a liar. Gee, I'm sorry that I don't lose sleep at night because of that one. Um, this is the opposition, folks. This is what they do. This is how they speak about this. Oh, and the opposition, by the way, it's not all done yet. You still got Biden saying that he's the most progressive of it. This is the, we, Biden is supposed to get involved any day now, people are, we're all supposed to be on Biden watch. And I'm sorry, this, this guy, he is a, he is an intense mediocrity. Uh, but we're supposed to think that this is a big deal. Here's what Biden says about where, where does he stand in this race on the issues? How does he stack up against these other candidates? Play 13. I know I get criticized. I'm told I get criticized by the new left. I have the most progressive record of anybody running for the United, if anybody who would run. With anybody who would run. There you have it. 
says he's the most progressive of anybody. This this is in a, in a race where there's an open socialist, folks. Biden, though, is just wildly overrated by everybody in the left and the media. Just because he was in the vicinity of Obama, they think that that all you know all, all that love the media has it kind of rubs off. Nope, that's not gonna that's not gonna be enough. That's not gonna be sufficient. Um, we have oh so much more show coming your way, team. Stay with me. So I, I told you about this story that Reuters sat on. I have to tell you what happened, and then I've got a I got an even bigger story for you though. Some breaking news as we were on the air. Some big stuff in the war for the First Amendment, the war for free speech online. Big, big story to tell you there. But first, Reuters ran this piece on how Beto O'Rourke was part of a group called the I think it's like the the dead the dead cow posse or something or the dead cow i forget but it's something dead cow cult of the dead cow that's i think that it's cult of the dead cow and it was a hacking collective and beto has has admitted that he used to uh, cheat on his long distance phone bill by using some hacker trick and some of you have probably seen the movie hackers from the early 90s um so you'll know about that trick or at least some version of it uh, a movie that Angelina Jolie starred in when she was very young before anybody really knew who she was. Fun fact. But Beto was part of this hacking group. They claim that he only was a white hat hacker. So he only was just testing the boundaries of things and trying out new programs. And you know, he wasn't a black hat hacker who breaks into systems, steals things, messes things up, hurts people with their computer skills. That, that's what they say. But what was so interesting about the Reuters story is that they admitted in the story that they just published this past week that they knew, they knew that Beto was a part of this group before the Ted Cruz election. And they held it. As a condition of the interview where Beto told them about it, he, they agreed to hold it till after the election. They were colluding with Beto as a journalistic organization, Reuters, colluding to protect him in advance of the vote. That's what they did. They can try to spin it some other way, but that was a newsworthy story. They asked him about it. They got the information, but they were willing to hold it for, ex for clearly political purposes and nothing else. This is what, this is what the other side does. You know, we have to keep reminding ourselves, this is what we are up against, folks. And it's worse than that. And that's why Devin Nunes has taken some considerable action here. Devin Nunes, everybody, this is the big breaking news story from just the last hour or so. That he is suing Twitter for over $250 million dollars because of its anti-conservative bias, including shadow bans and its complicity in personal defamation and smears against people like him. Let me read you a little bit here from the Fox News right about this complaint. Uh, Nunes claimed Twitter wanted to derail his work on the House Intelligence Committee, which he chaired until 2019, as he looked into alleged and apparent surveillance abuses by the government, 
Nunes said Twitter was guilty of knowingly hosting and monetizing content that is clearly abusive, hateful, and defamatory, providing both a voice and financial incentive to the defamers, thereby facilitating defamation on its platform. He also accused the social media site of shadow banning conservatives, including himself, to influence the 2018 elections, systematically censoring opposing viewpoints and ignoring lawful complaints about repeated abusive behavior. End quote. This is this is fun. This is good. I like this. My friends, you know I've been saying this to you for years. Social media platforms are what the left has turned to for information dominance in what is increasingly a post-cable news era. Or at least a competitive cable news era where Fox just dominates all the competition and then you've got all these other channels that are scrambling for the scraps. right? All these other liberal channels. But the way that they maintain their information and, yes, propaganda advantage is through control of the Silicon Valley giants that are now more powerful. They are more powerful than any cable news channel used to be. They are more powerful than Hollywood studios are today. These are the behemoths of our culture. Facebook, Twitter, not as much Snapchat, Google. These are organizations that have the ability to influence national conversation in profound ways, and we have no visibility into it whatsoever. They say that they're a public square. They say that this is an opportunity for people to engage in free speech, but then they censor people. But then they, they change the rules. I'm telling you, they have been putting their thumb on the scale for the left for years in ways that we will never be able to fully account for. And you want to talk about interference in elections. So many people in 2016, for example, would have thought that these social media platforms, they exist as places where people share information and there isn't a clear, there isn't a, a, an intentional liberal bias to suppress conservative ideas, memes, writing, and elevate liberal stuff. But that's not true. There is... There is a conservative effort in order to, to suppress conservative thought and elevate liberal thought. Liberals have such a, they have a huge advantage, and it's a built-in advantage on these platforms. They, they don't get suspended for silly reasons. They don't get suspended for abuse that's really just a cover-up of criticism that they don't really like. I mean, or, or rather, they, they will get away with piling on, dogpiling on people, doing whatever they want, as long as the target's a conservative. I don't know if Nunes will be successful here, but I do like where he's going with this. His lawsuit, quote, alleged defamation, conspiracy, and negligence, and sought not only damages, but also an injunction compelling Twitter to turn over the identities Behind numerous accounts, he said harassed and defamed him. Twitter is a machine, Nunes' personal attorney, Stephen Bliss, uh, Biss, told Fox News. 
It is a modern-day Tammany Hall. Congressman Nunes intends to hold Twitter fully accountable for its abusive behavior and misconduct. Although federal law exempts services like Twitter ordinarily from defamation liability, Nunes's suit said the platform has taken such an active role in curating and banning content, as opposed to merely hosting it, that it should face liability like any other organization that defames. End quote. I, I, look, I think he's right. I think he's right. Twitter is playing all kinds of games, putting its thumb on the scale for the libs. Twitter is engaging in systemic. Or is it systematic? Systematic suppression of conservative speech. It is happening all the time. It is happening every day. And for those of you who aren't on Twitter, first of all, I would like you to get on Twitter because it's a great way to communicate with the rest of Team Buck and with me. And, you know, the president is putting stuff out on Twitter. You know, one, you don't have to tweet yourself. You just use it as a scroll, as a kind of a news feed to see what other people are saying. Uh, I, I hope a lot of you will try it for the first time if you have not already. But even if you don't use Twitter, you have to understand that it is an incredibly powerful tool. And it's one that we cannot see to the other side and hope to have any ability to fight back in the culture war, have any ability to fight back against the nonsense that the left is engaging in day in and day out with their Russia collusion conspiracies and and propping up these Democrat candidates that no serious person thinks should really be president of the United States, but they're gonna they're gonna say they should be. Um, we have to figure this out. Either there's regulation that these social media platforms are gonna be fair, or we need to come up with our own platforms, folks. That's where we are now. That's where the real debate needs to happen. Snow plowing for parents. What is it? I'm going to tell you about it. It's going to be amazing. You're going to hear in just a moment. Stay with me. People should view with some skepticism uh, the notion that gets breathlessly reported every week that the Mueller investigation is coming to an end. You have this letter about Rick Gates, who's cooperating in multiple investigations, and they delay the sentencing, which seems to indicate that he is substantially cooperating and engaging in some success for the prosecuting team. So you might expect other indictments, other work going forward. No, please say it ain't so. Say the Mueller probe is over soon. I just I just want it to be done. Because then we can do a post-mortem and maybe get to the truth. Maybe then the president will declassify some of the essential documents from the Mueller probe so that we can really know what was going on in the Mueller probe and that led to it. And But this just grinding investigation, this, this bureaucratic harassment that's going on in the background of this administration and all the nonsense reporting on it, it's just we're all exhausted by it. There's been nothing worthwhile that's come out of this thing. It's all for show. It is a witch hunt. It is just trying to get scalps of people close to Trump to appease the Trump deranged masses of the progressive left. That's what this is. And also, by the way, I think it's the FBI and the DOJ desperately trying to maintain some shred of credibility, some shred of nonpartisan bona fides, because they they messed up, man. They messed up big time. They went after this president. They were trying to be nice for their future master, Hillary Clinton. And then they realized they had gone too far. 
and they had to justify it after the fact. I mean, the, for me, a big part of how we got to the Mueller probe, this is the this is the equivalent of they had to plant a gun on the body afterwards. And that's what the Mueller probe is. They, they had to plant a gun to make it look like a clean shoot, so to speak, uh, because there was no justification for these five these FISA warrants on Carter Page, the surveillance of Papadopoulos, all this stuff and any investigations that were going on before that, which, as we know, with the dossier and the conversations of the DOJ, this stuff was all often in some fever swamp left wing fantasy land. But they use real federal government resources and power and authority. In fact, some of the scariest authority the federal government has, they use that. And then they had to justify it after the fact. So I think a lot of that, a lot of that is um, why we've gotten to this point. Because remember, even, and this is important, even the people in DOJ and FBI, at the, at the I'm talking about the senior folks, the careerists, not, the, not your run-of-the-mill agents. And I do think that's an important separation to make or, you know, that's an important distinction because, you know, the FBI... You know, heaven forbid someone you know or love was ever kidnapped or being extorted or, you know, any, you know, the FBI does a great job and we live in a very safe country and, and we should give thanks to the FBI and all law enforcement because we do live in such a large, such a safe country where we have trust in our law enforcement. You know, we could live in Mexico where the, the federalists may kidnap you, torture you and hand you over to the cartels just because. Right. I mean, no, we live in America and thankfully we um, are able to trust our law enforcement. But the senior bureaucrat rung, and I had some exposure to these types when I was in the, um, I was in the CIA. You know, they become, they're, they're generally left-wing. I'm just telling you, senior bureaucrats, not appointees, because obviously a Republican can find a conservative appointee to put at the head of the FBI or the head of the CIA. But, the senior bureaucrats, the people that have been in there for 20, 25 years, they tend to be left of center. But even the ones who aren't, they're institutionalists. And why that matters for the FBI, the DOJ, and Russia collusion and Trump, I can tell you, I know this from sources in those buildings. I also just know this from understanding how the federal government works. There are people who are at the DOJ who are willing to go along a little bit more than they should with well, we can't, you know, the public can't really know what happened here because it would destroy, it would destroy the department for the DOJ or, or it, would, it would forever taint the bureau for the FBI. And so that, that factors into their willingness to, you know, cover things up a little bit or, or, or to at least, at least play a little too much in the, in the gray areas of their discretion and, and the disclosure that should be happening here and, and the transparency and accountability. Those are just things that have not happened here, have not uh, sufficiently been dealt with a, at all, in my in my opinion. Um, and, and I doubt they, I cannot lie to you folks, I doubt they will be. I doubt that there will be a situation where we um, will find, we'll get the real truth of what happened there. I, I don't know why Trump is shy about declassifying some of this stuff. I, I really wish that he would, but he has not yet. Speaking of the Department of Justice, though, and appointees, I, I think this was a very underreported, because, you know, you have all these people, including the, what is it, a dozen Republican members of the Senate, all saying, oh, you know, it's 
Trump is taking the authority that's not his, and he shouldn't do this, and all this other stuff. You know, you have all this stuff going on. And meanwhile, uh, you got the Attorney General, Bob Barr, uh, saying that Trump was right. And Barr, Barr was George, uh, George Bush's Attorney General. I mean, this guy's legit. He's an inside D.C. player. He knows the law backwards and forwards. He knows this issue. No one seems to pay attention to the fact that A.G. Barr is like, no, Trump has the authority. Play clip one. Mr. President, your uh, declaration of an emergency on the southern border was clearly authorized under the law and consistent with past precedent. As you said, the National Emergencies Act uh, directly authorizes the president, gives broad discretionary authority to the president to identify and respond to emergent circumstances that require uh, a decisive response. And the humanitarian and security crisis we have on the border right now is exactly the kind of emergency that uh, presidents are uh, permitted to address under the National Emergencies Act. As you alluded to yourself, in the past 40 years, there have been 59 emergencies declared. And many of these have dealt with political conditions in countries like Burundi, Sierra Leone, Belarus. Uh, the crisis that we're dealing with today is right on our doorstep. It presents a real, clear, and present danger to the American people. So what you've done from a legal standpoint is solidly grounded in law. And from the standpoint of protecting the American people, it's imperative. I wanted you to hear that because you have all these conservatives, uh, or, or at least Republicans, running around grandstanding about how, oh, we're protecting the Constitution. No, they're not. The president has this authority. It is an emergency. All right. I mean, you know, if China invaded tomorrow and they were, you know, blowing up our installations and taking out our airfields, guess what? I wouldn't want it. Oh, well, Congress doesn't yet give the president. No, the president's the commander in chief, man. He's got to take care of the country. And in this case, he's been explicitly given, explicitly given the right to determine a national emergency and to take action on the national emergency. What's going on at the border right now is absolutely an emergency. It is a crisis. And as A.G. Barr says, it's a clear and present danger. He is right. A lot of these grandstanding and generally kind of sort of never Trumper types, they're saying, oh, the Constitution, the Constitution. They are wrong on this issue. And if this goes into the courts, by the way, as it will, we will see that they are wrong. You've heard of helicopter parenting right that's when a parent is always right there hovering in the background or you know over the child when they're doing their homework and next to the child at the playground and always making sure that everything's okay now let me first just say i have no parenting expertise because i do not have any children so many of you listening know much more about this than i do but i'm just a guy who reads a lot and has some thoughts and i've certainly read about helicopter parenting and i'm familiar with it as a uh, JV soccer coach, I, I came up against some helicopter parents who kind of wanted to tell me, you know, how much playing time their son should get. And it's like, no, 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 that's not how this goes. This is not this is not your zone. This is not your lane. I know you think that, you know, little Bobby or little Timmy is the best player on the team, but he's actually lucky to be on the team. Lucky. Uh, so helicopter parenting is a known thing. But in the aftermath of this uh, school admissions scandal, there's a whole new paradigm of overparenting. It's called being a snowplow parent. John, have you ever heard of this before? I think this is pretty funny. So you have? 
Oh, oh, never. Yeah. Okay. So, so a helicopter parent is in the background trying to make sure that you know little Bobby or little Timmy or whomever, you know, little Suzette. Is anyone named Suzette these days? Little Suzette. Sounds like she's selling crepes on the corner, smoking a cigarette. I'm only 12, but I smoke the cigarette, and I am missing part of my left knee from all of the very tough life I live. I don't know. Suzette, for some reason, got me thinking French. Okay, snowplow parenting. So helicopter parents are there always hovering to make sure that they will help with any problem or any disaster. Snowplow parents are the next level. This was in the New York Times over the weekend. It's when the parent goes ahead of the child to clear all of the possible obstacles out of their way. Uh, you know, here's some affluent mothers and fathers are like snowplows, machines chugging ahead, clearing any obstacles in their ch- child's path to success so they don't have to encounter failure, frustration, or lost opportunities. Taken to its extreme, that means bribing SAT proctors and paying off college coaches to get children into elite colleges and then going to great lengths to make sure they never face the humiliation of knowing how they got there. Um, end quote. I mean, this was really, some of the examples they had here uh, are, are pretty incredible of, of kids who have no coping skills. They cannot cope with anything when they get to school because the parents are snowplow parents and have made all, you know, issues, problems, concerns go away. Uh, here's here's one quote. One student came home because there was a rat in the dorm room. Some didn't like their roommates. Others said it was too much work and they had never learned independent study skills. One didn't like to eat food with sauce her whole life. Her parents had helped her avoid sauce, calling friends before going to their houses for dinner. At college, she didn't know how to cope with the cafeteria options because they were covered in sauce. Another parent called to find out what the menu was at the cafeteria so she could make the menu selections for her daughter because she couldn't handle the choices. Folks, this is crazy, right? But this is a real thing. Snowplow parenting. I lived in a house in Georgetown at one point. And I, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was because uh, it was it was a, a, a house was kind of by level. It was split in two. And at the top of the house, a, an Italian family, a very, very wealthy, actually very famous Italian family moved in. And I lived in the basement because I was a poor government stooge. And I was like a little basement dweller, like a like a little angry troll under the bridge. Actually, I had a lot of fun there. A lot of good times. But the upper part of the house where it was very beautiful and nice, this wealthy Italian family lived there. And he, the kid was a freshman in college. And he had come over from Italy. He was attending Georgetown University. And his mother was living full-time in this house. I mean, she's from Milan. And she was living in this house full-time with him. And he's a freshman in college. And I remember one day, you know, I saw them outside walking in. So I kind of tried to engage in a conversation. She's like, yes, uh, but uh, my son, he don't like the food here. So I'm here to cook him a food. All of his meals, I cook the food. And I was like... You are living. In, first of all, your son can't live in the dorms. You've bought a. You've bought the top part of a house or rented the top part of a house, and you're cooking three meals a day for your son here because he doesn't like the food at college. Your son is going to get a lot of wedgies, is what I should have told her. But you know, the kid was a little punk, by the way, a total brat. But that's snowplow parenting. You know, that's that next level, and it, it does bring up. I think that for a lot of people, they don't they don't understand a lot of whether it's individuals or parents. Bruises, scars, failures, shortcomings. 
These are important. When we say things like it gives you character, that's not just lip service. Failure is an essential part of being a well-adjusted, considerate, decent human being. Failure is necessary in life. Disappointment is necessary in life. And parents who try to take that away from their kids are actually robbing their kids of critical growth opportunities and also endurance you got to learn to take it on the chin in this life, my friends. I know you listen to the show know that, but some of these snowplow parents, they do not know that. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Hope you all had a fantastic weekend. I know we've been listening, we've been doing some radio here for a while, but have not had a chance to say I hope you had a good weekend. Hope you did. Rested, ready, tanned, ready, and rested if you liked a little bit of sun. Although I think it's cold in a lot of the country still. Warren is first up. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for roll call purposes. And my main man, Warren, is first out of the gate. Hey, Buck. Just like to clarify something you said last week about the Australian gun scene. I, too, have heard that there are more guns in Australia now than before the gun restrictions and their crime has dropped. There are possibly more registered guns to licensed shooters than when the regulations came in the late 1990s, but it has no way of impacting the crime rate. Guns must be locked away securely, ammo locked in a separate lockup, and if you ever used it to shoot a home invader, you'd probably be charged because they'd see it as premeditated because you could access both quickly enough to protect yourself. Self-protection is not a reason to own a firearm was exactly what Prime Minister John Howard said at that time. Their crime statistics are tightly edited at both state and federal levels. I'd be very interested in how other crimes have evolved over the past 20 years. I bet that home invasions have gone up a bunch. By the way, I was a gun dealer in Australia until I managed to escape the land of the free in 2000. Shields high, Warren. Oh, Warren, thanks so much. Yeah, but the, the point I was making, and obviously you know a lot about Australia and the gun situation. I've never been to Aussie. That wasn't really the right accent, was it? It's because over the weekend I watched that scene where he's like, a little sweet shop on the edge of town. Instead of a guard dog, they had this great big bloody bangle tiger. Uh, I managed to take care of the shopkeeper with a can of... With, with, with a, oh, no, I messed it up. I managed to take care of the tiger with a can of mace, but the shopkeeper and his son was a different story altogether. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. The only worthwhile part of Wayne's World 2. It was on this past weekend. I saw it on HBO 7 or whatever. Uh, so, okay, back to Australia. So what happened was the gun... Uh, the gun situation in Australia, they, they had mandatory buyback. So that's just confiscation with compensation. That's all that is. And then the laws loosened a bit and more and more people were able to legally buy guns. And despite more legal guns in people's hands, the crime rate, the violence rate actually went down even further. So legal gun owners are not the problem. Illegal gun owners perhaps are the problem, but Banning all guns and making everybody an illegal gun owner is not the way to do it. Victor writes, Buck, thank you for being yourself, metaphors and all. You're the realest homie on the block. Thanks, Victor. So I'm beginning to think there are some politicians compromised by the cartels. (laughs) Victor, you don't say. Why else would Republicans vote against the interests of their country and their constituents? 
Only the cartels benefit from continued lawlessness and a lack of resources on the border. With the kind of money and violence the cartels have at their disposal, I think it would be naive to think they don't have a say in our internal politics. What better way to hide such corruption than to claim ideological righteousness? I don't hear anyone entertaining this option. Maybe I'm overly paranoid. What do you think, Shields High? Victor, my main man. Uh, Victor, let me say, I, originally I thought you were talking about Mexican politicians, and I was like, oh boy, there's a lot of corruption with the cartels over there. There, there was that, that little moment where people, based on the court transcripts, were being told that, uh, what's his name? Not Pablo Escobar, the other, El Chapo, Chapo Guzman. Chapo means shorty, by the way, uh, that he had that, that he had given Peña Nieto $250 million and Peña Nieto wanted more. Now, that hasn't been proven, but that was the allegation in court. And people were like, yeah, so he bought off the prime minister of Mexico. I mean, you know, what, what else is new? I mean, nobody even really noticed it. As to cartels and cartel money in this country, I don't I don't see that, Victor, because it's so hard to hide that kind of cash and it's such a liability for a, a politician uh, to take any of that cash. But, I mean, maybe if they did it offshore. I don't know. I'm not that good. It's, uh, I don't know much about how to structure offshore. I wasn't like a treasury analyst for terrorism. I, I was a find the bad guys and help the door kickers go tag them guy. Uh, as in find the bad guys and tell the door kickers where they are. So I'd have to think about that a little bit more. But I, I, don't, I don't know of anything. I have no proof of that. It is an interesting theory, though. Nonetheless. Uh, Joshua, right. After hearing your Beto impression this week, I saw this and almost fell over laughing. Yes, I'm not the only one, folks, who thinks that Beto and Napoleon Dynamite have some distinct similarities. There are memes now. It's just like, I just, I just want to be president of America because, like, I just think that we could all come together and unify with our unity and that if we take all of what is inside of us and put it on the outside of us, then it will be like inside out. And that's even better than inside. And then that togetherness with the insideness is going to make everything so much better and together. That's really what Beto does. I mean, I understand Beto. You know, I know where he's coming from. Can I also just point out, is he going to wear a blue button down in every single photo he's ever in? Is this a uniform? Does he own a does he own a check shirt or a a white button down? I've only ever I'm, I'm being serious. I've only ever seen him in a blue button down shirt, which seems a little a little weird. It's just because like it brings out the color in my eyes, especially when I'm in the corner with my acoustic guitar and I'm like I'm I'm singing a song that I wrote for your girlfriend at the fraternity party. But I swear we're just friends. I'm not trying to steal your girlfriend. I'm just singing her a song and staring into her eyes. And she's staring into my eyes. All right. Lloyd writes, Buck Shields High, original Saturday squad here, OSS. A while ago, you asked about who to cover your shift. I'm saying Jay Severin. He taught me quite a bit since 9-11. Follow him is how I found you. Also, your beta voice sounds like the PC principal on South Park. You know, I've always been, uh, I've always been, a, a a friend and and uh, an admirer of Severin's. I don't know what he's up to these days. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him in a little while. So let me reach out to him. That's actually a good point. I, I haven't I haven't heard from Jay in quite a bit. Jennifer, right? Hey, Buck. I once heard uh, Kamala Harris refer to herself in the third person in an audio clip. 
She pronounced her own first name Kamala, like the word comma with la. So there you have it. Shields high. Jen, Jen, I think you're right. And I just said it wrong beforehand, but ignore what I said. Uh, yeah. Kamala. Kamala. All right. I will get that one right. It's Beto, Kamala, Kirsten. There's some funky, there's some funky names in this bunch. Ryan. Just got into the house after plowing snow. Saw you on Fox with the beard. Your new name is the Wolf of Washington. Ryan, that's badass, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. The beard's coming in. It's getting it's getting some fullness around the chin, you know? And I've got some crazy little white whiskers coming out now. I am a graybeard millennial. It is it is the truth. Chris, right? I'm watching you on Fox at the moment and Grizzly Adams called and wants his beard back. Love you, man. Thank you, Chris. I, I got to I think I'm going to get it kind of trimmed in a little bit. I've got to go see some of my, my DC hipsters, you know, the, the hipster barber here, because those are the only barbers they have in DC. And they can explain if, if I were a cool Brooklynite, how would I wear my beard? How should I do my beard? Cause I don't want to go for the, you know, I, I, I don't want to go for the ZZ top, you know, I, I don't want to go for the ZZ top. I don't want to go for the bin Laden. I, I want a beard. That's, you know, uh, it is, it is kempt. As opposed to unkempt, I think that's a word. Tyson, hey Buck, usually a flyover state like Nebraska gets little news coverage, which is fine by us, but there's a large part of the state that is underwater. I follow many people and news organizations on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and local stations. I have seen little to no coverage from anyone except the local news. A small hurricane will have every journalist in a rain jacket headed for the coast. Where's the love? Shields high. Tyson, Tyson, you're, you're totally correct, my friend. And to... uh. Our, our friends out in Nebraska and, and to our, our friends and family out in uh, KFAB in Omaha, you know, just thoughts and prayers and want to let you know that we are thinking about you and we hope that uh, you're able to take care of what's going on out in your neck of the woods as, as quickly and, and uh, expeditiously as possible with minimal damage. I mean, th- there's just, you're, you're so right about how the coastal media uh, the, the coastal media gets so excited about weather that affects the coasts. But interior stuff, whether it's a tornado or these, the historic flooding right now that's going on in Missouri, Nebraska, and Iowa, I mean, it's killed a few people. It's cut off entire towns from the outside world. That is not getting nearly enough attention, but I'm glad we brought some attention to it on this show. Jim rides Buck Shields High. I think they're delaying the Mueller report because the rats are getting off the ship before it sinks. Jim, your head's in the right place on this one. There's definitely a little bit of shenanigans behind the scenes on who's going to stay, who's going to go. They're fighting over what's going to be in the report, what could be released from what's in the report. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. Uh, but you're 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 on the right track, my friend. Um, Eric writes, Buck. Your impression of Beto O'Rourke sounds like Vera DeMilo from In Living Color. Get producer Mike to find a clip to compare it to. I don't, I, you know, Eric, I like, first of all, props for the In Living Color reference. I don't think it sounds like that character, though. I'm going to be honest with you. I know who you're talking about. It's actually a Jim Carrey character. Um, but producer Mike will pull the clip and we'll, we'll see. We'll see. What do we got now? Uh, hmm. Mark writes, Buck, love your show. Um, I'm a major crimes prosecutor in Panama City Beach. My wife and I listen to you every night as we drive around the beach. Well, Mark, God bless you and your wife. Thank you so much for being a part of Team Buck. It's an honor. Team, that's it for today's show. Talk to you tomorrow. 
Shield time.